Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a guest sharing their story and tips on getting into cybersecurity. And today I'm excited to have Stephen Hink on from uh, SpectreOps. So welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great, great to meet you virtually. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of share about your background with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So my name is Stephen Hink. I uh, I basically lead everything customer facing for Bloodhound Enterprise and SpectreOps. So that's all the way through from the early stage pre-sales demo conversations, right? What does this thing do? How does it work? How does it priced? all the way through to the long-term enablement and support of our customers. So I basically get kind of a unique viewpoint into that life cycle uh, in my current role for folks using Bloodhound Enterprise within their environment. Uh, now, my background is uh, a varied one. Uh, I've been in the customer-facing customer space for about 10 years now. Um, I came up through the IT world, uh, systems and networks and and all that good stuff and stumbled into security. Uh, and, you know, from there found myself really enjoying the particularly the, the pieces of the engagement with folks that I got to educate them around things. Right. So whether that was uh, working with internal folks about how to, uh, you know, more securely uh, build our own products or when I got into consulting, working with customers to help them recover from a breach or, or, uh, you know, to improve their own security posture, I found myself really drawn to that. And so that's how I ended up in this world of kind of customer facing technical uh, 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 roles. Very cool. So I bet you know Bloodhound pretty well by now. Uh, yes and no. I'd yes like to no. say yes, but there are <laughs> definitely people who know far, far more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so for people listening, if you haven't heard of Bloodhound, Bloodhound is like an active directory tool for, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, able to find like the paths into like administrator. So map out the paths to, uh, the, based on the security rights of active directory to the users. Yeah, for both both uh, active directory as well as Azure. And that's exactly right. right. We are identifying the opportunities within existing configurations and privileges that allow you to get access to things that you otherwise probably should not have. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that you're starting to cover the Azure piece now too. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's been an interesting adventure getting into Azure because there's a lot of things that Microsoft has done really well with how they have built it, right? Even down to just very simple things like there are default groups in Active Directory that do not exist, exist within Azure. And just that simple uh, decision makes it more difficult to make poor choices as an admin about who you grant access to. Um, now, that said, there's lots of, there, there's still lots of layers of complexity and, and different ways that you can grant privileges within Azure. And so 
the 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 opportunity for attack paths is still very ripe within it. It's just a very different landscape than the Active Directory that we've been working with for the last twenty plus years. Yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting how things kind of started off with Microsoft because I I started out as a sysadmin back in '97, and before Windows 2000, before Active Directory even come along, it was interesting how a lot of Microsoft products were unlocked to begin with and you had to lock it down. And then they went to the mindset or the right way of doing things. Everything's locked down. You have to loosen things up as you go, but it's uh, pretty interesting to see, see how it's all evolved. It is. It's really interesting. And especially as you've moved from like to the different spaces, right? Like Azure is, is very much in this cloud space. And so the, the risk profile is very different, but you still have control over a lot of very critical you know aspects of your business from from doing so and so those decisions almost have almost more impact because they are publicly available versus the you know oh well at least it's behind my firewall right you lose that that concept um even though there are things in place like conditional access policies policies that you can you know pull that back some right you are still relying on those being implemented properly both by your admins as as well as by the the microsoft engineers yeah, it's kind of interesting that, you know, some people under the idea that they think just going to the cloud is going to be more secure. So I guess that's not that's not always the case, but just kind of interesting to hear some people's thinking o- over the years uh, about going to the cloud to be more secure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much been this adoption story of, you know, initially folks are looking at it like, eh, uh-uh, no way I'm putting my data out, you know, out on somebody else's computer to to where we are now with very large organizations completely on in the cloud, right? And and very little, if if any, on-premise footprint, save for things that are required to be on-premise, like you know my badge readers or my phone system or things of that nature. Um, and I think that's that's there's a lot that's gone into that. Whether that be kind of our own understanding of how to secure things outside of our own physical control, um, as well as you know having to make better ch- decisions about how we consider protecting the things that are out there. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that the the evolution of of cloud, how you know things before that were a little more difficult when you were planning for your your disaster recovery and, and business continuity plans were a little more difficult, and things like cloud have made that a little more easier to deal with than everything on prem. Yeah, absolutely. Or I look at things like, for example, uh, we're we're going through some uh, through some internal work within the product uh, itself, and and we just made a, a pretty significant shift in part of the architecture, right? And as part of that, because of how we've built it, we can basically change out the systems that our entire product runs on without anybody having any idea, and, and we can change it to say, oh, we need more compute resources. We need more memory resources. And all that really is is a flick of a switch and push to production. And all of a sudden all of this stuff rolls over and now it runs on whatever the new thing is that we need. And it's 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 given us the ability to be very flexible. Um, and I think a lot of folks have seen that and that's part of the willingness to take on that risk of putting it elsewhere, right? You can be very flexible in how you choose to deploy things or the the what you're you're able or willing or needing to invest in order to run them. Uh, for your own environment to to be flexible and have that ability to change things based on the, what is needed today and not let me plan for the next five years and hope that I made the right decision and nothing changes in that time. 
So, so when you got started in IT, kind of what was your kind of process of getting started in IT? Did you go to college? Did you do any kind of certification type of courses? How did you get started? Yeah, so I started, I think like a lot of folks in the, you know, the early 90s, you start out with a, hey, I want to play games, therefore I need a computer. And, you know, if, if you weren't going to go buy a, a Dell or an E-Machines, right, your only option was to put one together yourself. And so that's kind of where I started. Um, and then and then going into high school, there was actually a, a course offered in my high school called uh, Computer Support Services or something like that. Basically, there was one teacher on campus who was responsible for all of the computer stuff and he wanted help. And so he made a course that about a dozen or so of us were, were part of. And so we helped out during that period of, of class of, you know, go help out teachers with whatever little things they needed, whether it was the computer was slow or, you know, keyboard printer network wasn't working. Um, and so gained a lot of access to that. And then, uh, in college, uh, I went there and, and got an internship at a local software company uh, doing IT work for them, and uh, and somebody by the a man by the name of Joe Cusimano took me under his wing, and uh, was very much a. I started out, and he said, "Hey, here's three computers. Go build yourself a domain, right? Do do a small business uh, domain, and and spin this up. You want to jo- join the domains, create these group policies. I want you to do these different things." And so I got an opportunity to learn in a bit of a lab environment before uh, I had any keys to the real kingdom. Uh, to make changes in production. Very interesting. Very cool. I think I think that's great what your high school teacher came up with that class. I mean, because that that experience there could have gotten someone, you know, a job on a help desk or desktop support somewhere from that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just being able to to go into that conversation in an interview for an internship and say, yeah, I've actually done this, right? It's not just helping out you know, my, my, my relatives or, you know, friends or whatever, right. You can, you can say, Hey, I've, I've had to walk into some person I've never met before and talk to them about whatever their problem is, uh, and, and figure out how to solve it. Like that's a big leg up for your first position, um, to, to have that opportunity. Not that you can't do it off of working with relatives, but it helps to be able to, to say that you've had that customer service, uh, perspective on the problem. Yeah. Especially that's one of the things that people really don't, taking consideration sometimes the the people facing part of the job because at some level you're going to usually deal with someone you know some some roles more than others but sometimes people don't really think about that absolutely and especially when you get into the world of of security i think right there's you end up in these these cases where you know certainly there's the the one off two off thing of of you know hey i can't print and and i need to print this document for whatever reason and that's important right but when you get on the phone with somebody and they're in a position where their entire business is inaccessible because of some kind of compromise or you know you get on a call and and you've just deployed something and you're like hey you you've got a um it's an opportunity rich environment is how i like to phrase it right there's a lot of things there and they feel almost overwhelmed with where do I get started? How do I, you know, how do I do this? How do I solve this problem? Um, and and it, to, I, I joke sometimes, you know, internally, like I almost feel like folks in customer facing roles should take some kind of like therapy certification, right? Because in a lot of ways you end up being that voice of reason, that calm in the storm of, Hey, it's okay. Right. We've seen this before. We were, we, you know, we're going to get you out of this place, right? You are here now, we can look at how you got here later. That's okay. But for the moment, we got to figure out what's the best way to move forward 
and get you back to a, a moving, running, comfortable state from the, uh, the expectation of risk that you have. It's interesting you mentioned that that would be an actual good idea for a course just, you know, in, in general, and that could go across different types of jobs is how to deal with customers when they're upset or, you know, that type of thing. So that's interesting idea. yeah i mean you run into all sorts of things right people in different uh coming in with different backgrounds right you get on a call with somebody and you don't know what 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 conversation they just had with you know someone else in their organization or their manager or or what have you right and they come in and they may be in whatever state of mind that they're in right and it's always fun to celebrate the wins but but in a lot of cases you're coming in you're dealing with security things especially if you're if you're in like an incident response role right you're talking to somebody on their potentially their worst day of their professional career and being able to handle that appropriately and, and reassure them that, that, you know, you're there, you're the support to help them out that, you know, that can make all the difference in the world for somebody. Yeah. That's definitely those cases when you've kind of had those type of experiences yourself, it's a little easier to be empathetic to what they're going through. It can be right. It, it helps to be able to say, I've seen much worse than this and you're okay. Right. You're yeah. going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. Or if you've had the manager breathing down your neck, when is this going to be fixed? When is this going to be fixed to be able to understand what they're going through? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Having that experience certainly helps, but, but, you know, trying to, to remember that, uh, you know, especially if you're an outside party, right. Uh, trying to remember that they have their own story, their own background, and, and you're there to, to try and be a support for them and, and to, you know, help move them forward with whatever the topic of conversation is, right? Whether that's a, a response or a services engagement, or just the fact that you're their own internal security person, right? Having somebody come and be like, "Hey, uh, so I got a message. I think it might have been phishing. I clicked on that link, right?" You have several different paths that you can take in that moment, and if you go the path of, you know, shame, 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 what's the likelihood that they come back to you the next time to say, "Hey, I'm I'm sorry, I accidentally clicked this thing," right? We're all people. Right, we all make mistakes. You click a thing and you realize, ooh, uh, that one may not have been the right one to click. Right, and so and so being able to be that supporting arm of it's okay, we've all been here, we can solve this together, makes a big difference in how you move forward as an entire organization, right, or or in that partnership or that shared experience that you have. Yeah, that's a good point. We really need to see security in general get to that way where people can make mistakes and they understand because some cases, you know, people may not mention it and you build that kind of culture. It's going to be hard to know what's going on. It, it is. And I, uh, I can fully cop to those mistakes in my own history, right. Of, of being newer in security and, and having this perspective of, you know, the security matters because the security matters. Okay. Well, I mean, kind of, but not really right. Security largely exists to help, business be successful in a secure fashion, right? And where security is a much more top of mind thing for most customers, now it matters more, right? And so you are helping secure the business in order to help them be a better business partner, to help them be a more likely supplier and and to be successful in those things. And so when you start to approach things from that perspective, right, you are there as security to help enable the secure uh the secure doing of business, right? And so when somebody comes to you and says, oh, I accidentally clicked on this link to say, shame, 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 means that you are pushing this partner away from you, right? When reality, you want to say, thank you for bringing me in partner so that I can help you be successful in in this you know, issue. Uh, um, and, and so those are the, the 
the the lines of communication that you want to foster within your organization or with your partners is is being able to be open and transparent and supportive in those moments as opposed to you know shaming in those moments uh, when you know generally folks need that support most. Yeah, very good point. So, how did you make the the move to security? What how did that, what did that look like? So I was working the the software company that I was an intern at uh, was a, a software that it was a company that made SCADA software. So uh, in particular, they focused on the natural gas industry, um, a little bit of oil as well. But basically, their software would monitor and control these various devices out in the field for uh, you know pumps and pipelines and and all this kind of stuff. Well, there's a program that I believe is still put on to this day. Uh, by the Department of Homeland Security and Department of Energy hosted out of Idaho National Idaho Falls National Lab in Idaho Falls uh, that they offered for free at the time to uh, folks who are working in the, the critical, infrastructure, in critical infrastructure sector. And so we qualified for that, and I had an opportunity to go out to that for a week. Now, at this time was around kind of the same time as Stuxnet, uh, was was very heavy in the news, and so there was this was something that was getting a lot of uh, you know attention uh, in you know the security space, and it, it certainly made its way to me. And so through these two things, it was very much a hey, this is a really cool place to be, and this is a a, a very interesting um, you know uh, sector of of information technology of information security, right? Uh, and so through those things, I got really interested. And so when I actually graduated, as I was putting out resume after resume after resume trying to find a job um, because I wanted to leave the the town that my my school was in uh, I ended up getting accepted uh, at a, a position uh, doing security you know working effectively the front the front incident queue uh, of of you know here are the alerts can you go triage those alerts you had customers or or, or uh, folks in the business sending in, hey, I think this is a phishing email, and so all of those customer-facing aspects continued into that first line of uh, of security for me. Very cool. I actually had some former coworkers that actually got to take that. We worked for a company that used used ICS and had OT environments. They got to go to that training. It was a really cool experience. Yeah, um, kind of the first. So for for folks unfamiliar with it, it's basically built up as a uh, several days of training and culminates with a, a red team, blue team exercise on the final day. Um, and so you get this like crash course in securing an organization and what it means to, you know, abuse the things that exist within it in order to gain more access as an attacker. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty cool training. So for, for folks in that ICS space, definitely worth looking into if it's still a program that they offer. Very cool. So, uh, what, what would you recommend for someone who wanted to get started in, in the security industry? Uh, that's a great question. My typical answer for folks who are just getting started in the, in the, in the industry is try, try all the things because to think that security is one space that you're going to be able to be an expert in all of it is, is uh, a farce. There's no possible way there. There are all kinds of different areas within security, right? At the high level thinking of like, red team versus blue team, defensive versus offensive. But even within those particular areas, there are specialties, right? Do you focus in things like, uh, you know, alert triage, detection, hunting, more like technical, technical things? Do you get very technical and go to areas like reversing or forensics? 
um, you know, do you do you go more of the project oriented things of risk governments, uh, governance, incident response, right? These all have various levels of technical and interpersonal. And similarly on the red team side, right? Do you do you kind of go down the the rabbit hole of of vulnerability research and identification? Do you um, you know, focus in one particular area, whether it be networks and systems or, or web apps or uh, any of these things, right? When you're getting started, my encouragement is try all of it because the first thing you try may not be something that clicks with you. And the second thing may, may be what you love, right? Or maybe you, you try the second one, you're like, hey, this is great. But then in a couple of years, you get a, you know, a little more experience, you get a little more mature, mature, people change over time, right? What interested me today was not anything that would have remotely interested me, you know, five, 10 years ago, because at that point in time in my life, I was very interested in all of the deep nitty gritty bits and bytes and incident response and forensics and, and, you know, doing all the cool malware detection things. And now I get way more excited about the opportunity of building up other people and uh, of, of leading teams and being more strategic in my thinking. And so what you're interested in will change over time and all of that is okay. And so the only way to figure out what those things are is to try different things. Very cool. So what do you, what is your opinion of certifications? Do you think those are required? Required? I don't know that they're required. Um, I think they are very advantageous and I think I, I have, uh, had and since let lapse several, several certifications, uh, they were incredibly beneficial to me at the time that I took them. Um, you know, when I took those certifications, I was in a position in, in earlier in my career where uh, I was at this organization, I was the incident responder for the most part, right? We had other folks that certainly participated and, and were involved when there was an incident, but, you know, who was leading the response, who was doing the majority of the, the investigatory work, that was me. And so having cert- certifications and, and getting that very, uh, open the floodgate type of training scenario was incredibly beneficial, right? Because you walk out with something that you, you, you do the training Monday to Friday, you go back to work the next Monday and, and you have information that you didn't have previously that helps you do your job better. Um, so from that perspective, I think they're, they can be very valuable. Certainly on the flip side of that is, you know, there are other ways to gain that, that, uh, that knowledge, right. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that saying, oh, you know, you must have this particular certification is a good way to say that you're going to get a good t- candidate if you're looking at hiring, for example. And also kind of uh, in lines with that, too, what about uh, degrees? Do you think degrees are mm-hmm. needed or important? I think they're, they're a piece to consider when you're having a conversation with somebody on a, you know, an application, right? Uh, I, for any of the positions that I have ever posted on my teams, there hasn't been a requirement for a degree, right? I, I do have a degree. I've got a bachelor's. Uh, it's a bachelor's in business. Please don't hunt me down. Uh, but it was the closest thing that there was at the, the university I attended at the time to be able to, uh, to get a degree in the things that I was interested in. Um, you know, I started my my career there as in computer engineering. Realized pretty quickly that was not the thing for me. Electrical circuits make zero sense to my brain, uh, and so and so I made the switch after really enjoying that internship. And so, you know, does does a degree give you an opportunity for various kind of uh, rounding of of your education, your background? Certainly. Is it the only way to get that? Absolutely not. 
right? You can, you can get all kinds of experience from different places. Uh, a degree program is one of those things, but you know, when I look back on my time in my, uh, in my coursework uh, for my degree, there are really only a couple of classes that were really particularly impactful, I think. Um, and none of them had to do with security or infotech- information technology uh, at all. Yeah, very cool. It's just interesting that sometimes that the the courses that end up ends up helping that you find that were useful that for a totally different role than what you actually ended up doing. Because like for me, one of the best classes I had was my English composition <laughs> courses at the the uh, community college I went to to learn how to be able to write reports and just communicate. Mm-hmm. So, but it seems like too I see a lot. It's interesting because you know the big four kind of eliminate their requirement for a four-year degree. You're seeing less that people are starting to be more understanding that you don't have to have that. And then, you know, it's people that have degrees that come over from a totally different area. They may have worked in some other area different than where they're in and move over to security. And, you know, that degree's not really relevant to what they're doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, that one course that stuck with you being an English composition, you know, course, the course that has stuck with me the most was technical writing. I have found in my career that the one thing that we in security suck most at is communicating, right? And so if there's a, hey, what's the one thing I should go do? Go take a tech writing course. Go learn how to communicate better because you could be the smartest person in the world. You could have all the ideas and understand all these things. If you can't tell somebody else about it and how to do it or how to deal with it or why it matters, it, it at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter, right? Because if all they hear is, you know, the, the wah, 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 it doesn't help them do anything about it, right? You need to be able to communicate it in a way that makes sense to them. That's, that's very clear and repeatable. And so, you know, that, that writing or communication becomes very important. And again, you can learn that from a myriad of places that do not specifically involve a degree. Yeah. That's kind of a good thing too, that it does, because you figure someone's wanting to get into the field, have to spend four years going through school just to, to, start a job and you know there's so many other ways to to get in quicker than having to spend that many years to start a career so it's kind of nice yeah and you can certainly do those things you know in in combination so like one of the folks who who works for me right now is is in school um you know he he wants to to take on and and get a, a higher education and i think he's going for his master's degree and um you know, but it's certainly not a requirement, but it's something that he's really interested in. I think there's there's opportunity to learn more through those things. But, you know, again, requirement, it, I don't see it. <laughs> and that, that's a good point, too. So anyone listening, just because you don't have to have a degree, if that's something you want to do, you definitely should do it. Because, you know, it's like there's times through your life that, you know, maybe you don't have kids yet. You're wanting to, to get a degree. There may be a better timing to get some of these degrees or a master's degree now than it might not be as easily later on. So for anyone listening, want to make sure you don't, you're not discouraged from doing that if you want to do it. Absolutely. I mean, if, if, if learning is something that you love and, and I, I mean, I hope that it is because the reality is, is you're going to largely be learning for the rest of your life, right? Whether it be the new, whatever the new, uh, uh, you know, cell phone is or whatever, right? You're going to be learning new things that the, the new technology, whatever the, the, the latest and greatest is. Um, and, and so having a focus on learning is, is a really important uh, aspect of life. And so 
if getting a degree is something you're interested in, you should absolutely go and, and pursue that. Um, there's lots of great programs out there that are, you know, online entirely, right? You don't have to necessarily go to a course or, or go to a campus. Or on the flip side, if you're a better learning in person kind of person, go find a, a, a campus that you can go to. Um, it, it's really important to understand how you learn best because that is also not a consistent thing across people, right? Everybody's unique in how they learn. Yeah, I think it's very important to to figure out how you learn best because you, when you're trying to do it a different way, it's just going to make it a lot more difficult trying trying to learn. Yeah, for sure. And that, that goes to, you know, many different aspects in your life. Like how do you learn? How do you process information? How do you interact with people? Understanding more about yourself and, and how those things play into the interactions that you have, whether it be at, at work or in your personal life. Uh, it's important to understand those things. So what are your, what are your thoughts on coding? Because I, I have a lot of people come to me, they want to get, they're wanting to become pen testers and they think they got to learn Python first. They want to learn Python before they start learning pen testing. So what are your views on, on coding? All right. So full disclosure, I do work at Spectrops. I am not a pen tester. I, that is, remember that whole try everything and you yep. try all yep. the things. Yeah. I tried, I tried the red team and the pen testing. My brain doesn't function that way. Um, now that said, um, I think again, putting something and saying like, this is a prerequisite to being able to be successful, uh, is not necessarily appropriate, right? Is, or can it be very helpful? Absolutely. Right. Whether you're coming in to be pen tester, red teamer, you know, blue team or what have you, having the ability to code is going to be very helpful. We talked earlier about that, everything moving to the cloud, right? Well, the reality is the only way that we can do things, like I mentioned, where I can change the entire infrastructure of my product overnight is by using code. Now, what level of coding that means can be very different. Excuse me, very different. Uh, you know, so my coding ability is... Uh, sufficient to get the job done. Uh, but it's not any code you generally want running in a production environment for some product that services a bunch of customers, right? Uh, that's what full-time engineers are for. Uh, but what I can do or what I can work with my team to do uh, is to build up prototypes effectively, right? I can prove out something. I can solve a problem. I can build a report. I can you know, t try out a widget. Um, and so from that perspective, I think having some base level coding ability is very helpful. Um, and the nice thing is there's lots of resources out there to learn that without, again, going to a very big expensive school or certification program or what have you. Um, but although helpful, again, not necessarily, I think, a strict requirement to get into doing these kinds of things. Very cool. So, uh, we're getting down towards the end of the show and uh, wanted to see if there's anything else that you have that you hadn't thought of that you'd like to share. Hmm. Well, so we talked a lot about folks getting started in the industry. Um, there are lots of open source projects that are out there, right? Uh, Spectre Ops that I work for publishes a good number of them. They're largely focused on the, the red team or pen testing use case, but understanding how some of those things work is a very helpful way to get in right so if you can walk into your first interview your conversation and say oh yeah i have i've tried out bloodhound i did it in my 
my own environment or uh you know i tried it with the the test database or you know yeah i've played around with with these various tools like it's very helpful to be able to, to say that and do that because one of the things that i think is is important for folks to recognize is that knowing a tool means you can likely learn other tools of their type right so let's say you are familiar with right it's just like if you fam- if you're familiar with microsoft word you're going to have likely the ability to figure out google docs they're not exactly the same product but they offer the same functionality and so if you can figure out one you can figure out the other so uh, i guess that's one thing I, I would add is there's you know again to that there's lots of free resources out there there's lots of free tools out there uh, in order to uh, uh, to get familiar with the things that you're going to be involved with uh, once or when you would get into a, a, a industry like security uh, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to to join. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here, and, uh, and thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for joining, and we'll see you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.